Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Amazing. I had a great fundamentals class this morning talking about how to read the Bible. Uh, At the very least, I think everyone learned that I probably need a class on how to write on a whiteboard. But uh, it was great. That's going to be happening for the next 10 weeks, basically. Next week, we'll be talking about prayer. Uh, 9.15, would love you to be there. Uh, I am not preaching today. I'm actually introducing our guest preacher. I, I don't know why you're clapping. I didn't even, I didn't tell you who it was, but it makes me feel like you're just glad it's not me. So that's awkward, but that's okay. Uh, it's funny to say that he's a guest preacher because he was the only pastor with me at this church for seven or eight years. So many of you know him, but Leading up to today, it's like, there's a lot of new people that have no idea who this guy is. But just know, we don't bring in random guest preachers. He was a pastor here for many, many years, and his family is some of our best friends. And he's awesome, Jeremy McCallan. Come on down. And he will take every opportunity to make fun of me. Everything he says is lies, except when he's talking about Jesus. So... Hi. That's fun. That's fun. I do have some, some, some good news for us this morning. Really, 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 really good news. Um, I have not lost my soul. So last week, Patrick preached, and uh, if you weren't here and you just listen to the audio, and I come to find out that if you, even if you were here, when he got up and he introduces the whole thing, he says, well, I got some bad news. I lost my soul this morning. It was scary. It literally came off. <laughs> and I tripped over it. But the people in the church, gospel community, gathered around me and mended my broken soul. And if you have no idea what he's talking about, and you just hear that, you're like, whoa, what did he do to his soul? So the good news is, I have not lost my soul. It's safely in the arms of Jesus, and my, my soul of my shoe is actually together. So he was talking about the sole of his boot, in case you were wondering. Um, but it's pretty funny when you have no context, and he just says he loses his soul. You're like, man, does this guy need to be preaching right now? It's crazy. <laughs> Anyway, my name's Jeremy McCallan. Um, as he said, I was a pastor here for, for years. We lived here. Um, I'm also the director, well, not also, but I'm currently the director of Better Days, uh, which is one of your mission you support for missions. So thank you for supporting us. Uh, for those who don't know, Better Days 
is a ministry, a counseling ministry that primarily serves men and women in ministry, pastors and those on staff at churches, missionaries, uh, those serving Jesus in that context. But we also do just general biblical counseling. But I get the privilege to serve as the director of Better Days, and my family and I moved to San Antonio a little over two years ago. So we've been away from here about two years, but it is so refreshing and enjoyable to come back and see friends, uh, longtime friends, deep friends. Hi, Daniel. Love you. Um, So we are grateful to be here this weekend. Uh, It has been a joy, very fast-paced, trying to cram a lot in, a lot of people in, but it's been fun. I'm glad to be here this morning. I get to open up the the Bible with you. Uh, If you do have a Bible, um, open it up to the book of Revelation. Chapter 5, I want to start here this morning, um, said <laughs> when originally we kind of lined this out, hey, you're going to preach, and uh, I was like, what, what, what can I preach on? I'm like, well, we're going to be in between a series, so just kind of come up with something. I'm like, well, I, that's hard. Like, <laughs> I'm used to you just telling me what I preach, like you're in a passage and we preach that, but... Um, So we'll get to the main point, but I want to start here in Revelation chapter 5 because I think if we we can read this, it'll set the tone and kind of help paint a picture for what I believe is essential to all of creation. Um, If we can allow our imaginations to be shaped by John's vision here and what he writes in this chapter, I believe it'll help us kind of see more clearly where we're going this morning and see more clearly... Uh, some of the things that John says in his other, other book in John. So Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? No one in heaven or on earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. We'll stop there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you, uh, it's true. Your word is true. It's active. It's present. It's, your spirit uh, opens our eyes to see the, the beauty and the reality of who you are in your word. And we're, we're grateful to open it here together this morning. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, guide our time, that you would open our hearts and minds and our imaginations to uh, the realities of who you are, uh, Jesus, and what you have done for us. Would you be present with us in Christ's name? Amen. Okay, have you ever wondered uh, what you're known for? 
You ever thought about that? Like, what, what do people know of you? Or uh, we'll put it this way, when other people are telling stories about you, good stories, when people are telling stories about you, what's mentioned? Some of us are probably pretty aware, like we're pretty, it's pretty obvious what we're known for. Um, it's like when you think about Patrick, you know, that, that really outgoing, talkative, likes to have lots of fun, hardly ever at home, never on time, always traveling, adventurous, eater, smiley, joyful guy. Wait, that's my wife. That was my wife. I just described my wife there, not Patrick. Do you get the point? Like, you think about somebody, they're known for something. There's typically something we know about something, the way they act, how they live, the things they like and enjoy. So what are you known for? Better yet, what do you want to be known for? Who do you desire to be known as? Have you ever paused and considered this? Does that kind of shape the way you live your life and interact with others throughout life? It's what you want to be known for. You guys just wrapped up the Mission and Vision series last week with a gospel-centered church. And knowing the elders, my friends here, and being an elder here at one point in time, I know that they desire to be known as that kind of church and community in this area and in the earth. A church that's saturated in the gospel of Jesus, meaning the gospel of Jesus shapes the culture and all that you are as a people. That's what Patrick talked about last week. And he's kind of summed it up in this way. This is quote unquote from Patrick Wimberly last week. A life that flows from and is empowered by the person of Jesus. We want that life. The call of the church is not just to pass on a message, but to be a living embodiment of the gospel message. That can be seen and experienced. If we do this, the world will take notice and they will long to know the God we serve. Now, these words speak to a desire to be known, right? If you, if you heard that in there, seen and experienced, to use those words. We want to be seen and experienced. So, this is how we know people, right? It's how we know things. We, we hear about them, like you can hear about people, but then you get to know them by seeing them. You see how they act. You see how they engage. You see the, work, the, the way they live. You see how they drive. You see the things they enjoy, where they go. You see them, and then you experience them. You spend time with them. You engage with them. You work out with them. You work with them. You play with them. You have fun with them. You eat with them. You share meals and life together. You experience people, right? So seeing people and experience people is how you know people. So Seeing and experience are the words he used there, and this is how we want to be known. So what do you want to be known for, you personally and collectively? I, I think I speak for the elders. I know how the elders would love for this church community to be seen and known as, but you, think about it. You as a member of this body and as a person that follows Jesus, if you follow Jesus, what do you be, want to be known as or known for John 13, 34, this is our kind of anchor text this morning. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, Jesus' words here, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love with your love for one another. So several years ago, 
which is crazy. I looked it up. It was 2018, which is several years ago. Uh, we did a sermon series called The One Another's, this cool little graphic that Carrie put together. Um, did a series on the one another's. And this text, John 13, is kind of the anchor, the foundation text to all the other one another's, right? The one another series was like honor one another, greet one another, welcome one another, be patient with one another, bear with one another, encourage one another. Like all the one another's of Scripture kind of anchored and rooted in John 13. All the other one another's are dependent upon love. For it's the first and greatest commandment, Jesus says in Matthew 22. But Jesus, but Jesus doesn't just want us to love each other for love's sake. Or to love each other simply because God is love and he commands us to love. And that's not just why he wants us to love one another. He says in verse 35 here that this love for each other is the mark by which we will be known by all people. The mark by which we will be known. So when you hear this, what do you think of? 250 perfectly clean bathroom stalls and 600 gas pumps. Yeah! How about super long drive through line that's through the entire parking lot, taking up space on the actual street where I can't drive by, but it only takes like two minutes to get through that line. Chick-fil-A. How about sacrificial love? When you think about sacrificial love. See, Jesus is like, listen guys, Chick-fil-A has chicken sandwiches. Tesla has electric vehicles. CrossFit has soul-sucking workouts. Scientology has Tom Cruise. Mormons have holy underwear. Islam has Muhammad and the Quran. Buddhists have enlightenment. Hindus have reincarnation. My church, my people, they have love. The true church, Jesus' true church, this is the mark. Love sacrificial, selfless, unconditional affection that desires another's highest good. Sacrificial, selfless, unconditional affection that desires another's highest good. Love. That's the mark of the disciple of Jesus. That's the mark of his church. So Jesus says love Specifically, our love for one another within the church is how we will be known as his followers. So let me ask you this. Do you want to be known as a disciple of Jesus? Do you want that? Is that high on your want to be known as list? If it is, then love is the way. Agape love, sacrificial love, love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, love for each other in this room. Love for all of those throughout churchdom. This is our mark 
And if we're living a life of love in this way, then we will be known as, we will be known as Jesus' followers. So if like, hey, I wake up in the morning, today I want to be known as Jesus' disciple. That's what, boom, top of the priority list there for me, love. Love is the way. And it starts here. It starts right here in this room. Jesus in this John 13 is talking to his disciples, to his body, to his church, to his people. And he said it starts right here. This is where the world will know that you are my followers when you guys right here together love each other. But it doesn't stop there. He takes it a little bit further and actually a lot a bit further in Matthew chapter 5. And he says you're to love your enemies. Love those who don't love you back. It's one thing to love those who actually have a commandment from me to love you back, (laughs) which I think is kind of a rabbit trail, but I think oftentimes we kind of get hung up in that in the church. Like, it's easy to fall into that. Well, well, you're required by Jesus to love me. (laughs) You're Christian. You're my brother. Love me. You better love me. And we get so focused on others loving us that we forget our own call and responsibility and requirement of Jesus to love them. And if we spent more time focused on that, we wouldn't really care or worry that much about how much they're loving us. But Jesus says, hey, love each other, but love those who hate you too. Love those who aren't going to love you back. Because the world, those that don't follow Jesus, you know what? They love others that love them. If others are loving them, yeah, it's easy to love those people, is what he says. But hey, can you actually love those that don't actually love you? your enemies. So he takes it a step further, which is kind of a gut punch. It's like, well, I mean, it's hard enough to love my brothers and sisters, you know? Any families in here with siblings and brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. I don't know. It's perfect. Like, I loved everybody all the time. It's hard enough to love those close to you, but can you love those that actually hate you and don't love you? That's a little bit different story. But it is the marker, if I want to be known as Jesus' follower, it's the marker of my life, sacrificial love. So what does this look like? What does it mean to have sacrificial love in my life? Let me see if we can unpack this a little bit more. Um, Seems pretty straightforward, right? Love people. Love those around you. Okay, let's love them. All right, well, what does that really mean? So dig in a little bit deeper here, sacrificial love. Jesus commands us to live a life of love toward each other because he wants us to be known as his followers, right? There's a knowing part as his disciples. Why? Why does Jesus want us to love so that we are known as his followers? I'm not sure if you noticed that in that quote from Patrick last week, but he said that, they will take notice and long to know the God we serve. God wants us to be known as his followers because he wants to be known by all people. God wants us to be known as his followers because he wants to be known by all people. In the wonderful Jesus storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones writes, So God led them to a tall mountain. God wanted to talk to his people and show them what he was like. He wanted to help them know him better and tell them about the special land he was going to give them. The whole earth belongs to me, God said, but I have chosen you. You are my special family. 
I want you to live in a way that shows everyone else what I'm like so they can know me too. I want you to live in such a way that everyone else knows what I'm like so that they can know me too. There's no better way to show the world who God is than sacrificial love. There's no better way to show the world what God is like, who he is, than sacrificial love. It may be obvious, right, because God is love. But look how this plays out. I asked you earlier, how, how do you want to be known? Who do you want to be known as, right? So if you ever pause for a moment and say, well, how does God want to be known? What does God want to be known as? And I think it's pretty straightforward um, my personal opinion, but I think it's pretty straightforward when we hear verses like Colossians chapter 1, 15 and 20 says, He is the image of the invisible God. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You hear Hebrews 1, 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In John 14, 9, Jesus' word specifically says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So who's he and who's me he's talking about here? Jesus. So when you think about the question, well, who does God want to be known as? What what does God want to be known as? Who is God? Uh, I think it's pretty clear he wants to be known as Jesus. God the Father, the preeminent one, the one who created all and existed before time began, the unmatched, all-knowing, all-powerful, self-sufficient, perfectly holy God, dwelling in unapproachable light from whom earth and sky flee from his presence because there's no room found for them in it, and in his presence Mount Everest melts like the wax of a candle, and who no man or woman can look upon his face and live, has revealed himself fully in the person of Jesus. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's pretty clear how God wants himself to be known in the earth. Just look at Jesus. Okay, so what does Jesus want to be known as? Good question. How does Jesus want to be known? Well, there's a ton of that in the Bible. You probably start with the first four books of the New Testament and just read about Jesus' specific life. But let's look at just a few verses here. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, well, there he was, Jesus was God, got that, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Matthew 20, verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. 
I'm not sure what, what person your imagination saw when you hear those verses or what that brings to mind, that type of person that you hear those verses, but what comes to my mind is humble, selfless, generous, sacrificial. Love. John 15, 12 and 13, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. So it sounds like Jesus wants to be known for sacrificial love. No wonder that's the mark of his disciples. No wonder that's what he wants people to notice about our lives. Because when they see love in us, they see him. And they take notice that we follow Jesus, and when they take notice of that, they'll want to take notice of God, the God who wants to be known by them. So what does sacrificial love really look like? Jesus, good, good answer. <laughs> Circle back around to Revelation chapter 5. We'll bring it home with this. I still have 14 more pages, but it's good. We're bringing it home. <laughs> Revelation chapter 5. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it and began. So I began to weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. The scroll is the scroll of history, the story of creation, the story of God, of all, the story of all of creation, all of history. Like it's the scroll, it's all of it. No one's worthy to open that. No one. Not one person, not one created being, not nothing. He looks up, he looks even, and he looks down, and there's nothing. And so John's crying like a little baby, loudly, and he's like, there's never going to, history's never going to be, no one's ever. And one of the leaders said to me, weep no more, stop, listen, wait. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. It's like, woo! Can you imagine like the, the, the Israelites or the, the Jewish people, they, when they were like, man, we're waiting, oh, our Messiah's coming, oh, Jesus is here, whoa, he's going to conquer for us. Here comes the, the lion, here he comes, woo! He's going to beat the Roman army for us. Right there he is, the angel's like, look, no, wait, weep no more. One of the elders like, no, stop, listen, the lion's here. The lion's here. They're like, come on, lion's going to conquer and defeat and destroy and rule and reign, woo! And then he looks up, and between the throne and the elders and the scene that he sees right in the middle of all things, what? A lamb. What? A lamb. And not just a little baby lamb that walks around, man, doing his thing. A slain lamb, a slaughtered lamb, a lamb that's been beaten and destroyed, a lamb that took on pain and hurt and crucifixion, a lamb that died and resurrected, sitting at the center of all things, the lamb. Jesus, the slaughtered and resurrected lamb, is standing with the scroll that holds the meaning of history in his hand, in the center of of all things, he stands at the center of reality. And what's crazy, if you just kind of sit there and read that again, it says, the lamb went and took the scroll. 
the ruler of all things holds the scroll in his hand, right hand, and the lamb goes and takes it, which means the lamb has authority. The lamb doesn't ask for it. The lamb is God. He has all authority. And then there's this crazy imagery that he has these seven horns and seven eyes. And he's like, that's freaky. I've never seen a lamb with all that stuff on it. I don't even know. So you're kind of freaked out at this image. But the imagery that he points with those symbols is perfect wisdom and perfect power. The strength of the ram. Perfect power. Seven. Perfection. Perfect power. Seven eyes. Wisdom. Perfect wisdom. Perfect power. With all authority, the slain lamb at the center of all creation. This is who Jesus reveals himself to be. This is who God reveals himself to be in and through Jesus. So who has the authority to unlock it? Who's worthy of all things? It's not the lion. It is the lion. As the lamb. Not just any lamb, the slain lamb. Listen to how theologian Daryl Johnson in his uh, commentary on Revelation says this, the secret of history which no one could have discovered on his or her own is that the lion gets to the throne by being a lamb. The lion wins by being slaughtered. What the vision of Revelation 5 is telling us is that the power that overcomes is the weakness of sacrificial love. The wisdom that overcomes is the foolishness of sacrificial love. Another commentator named Brutz Metzger wrote this, instead of a ferocious lion that hurts others, wow, the Messiah is a sacrificial lamb that takes into himself the hurts of others. Sacrificial love stands at the center of reality. When we live in this way, the way of sacrificial love, we love each other and we love our enemies. The kingdom of God moves forward in the earth. Jesus is the slain lamb reigning over all of creation and all of history, not by hurting others but by taking the hurts of others into himself. This is the way he calls us to live. This is the mark of our lives. It seems weak. It seems foolish. It can. Right? I've been there. Still working through. My pride wants to rise up and defend myself when I've been wronged. My strength wants to rise up and wants to be the lion and hurt back, attacking and ruling and reigning with force and aggression. When I feel wronged, man, I want to be the lion. But true power is found in the way of the lamb. My great wisdom wants to strategize and come up with a way to conquer my enemies, to rule over them, to make my life more efficient and more self-serving, and in great wisdom have people serving me, right? 
If people are serving, man, that's pretty wise. You got that done and they're taking care of it. Whoa, my wisdom wants to be served, wants to stand up like the lion, having them come and cower and bow down to me in great wisdom. But true wisdom is found in the way of the lamb. Another quote from Daryl Johnson says, the greatest power in the universe is the weakness of sacrificial love. The greatest wisdom in the universe is the foolishness of sacrificial love. Taking the hurts of others into ourselves, refraining from retaliation, refraining from hurting back, refraining from gossiping, refraining from trying to get even with them, refraining from those things, but taking on their hurt and their pain with them. This is love. Bearing with, being patient with, being kind to in your response when you don't want to, believing them, enduring with them. This is love. This is the way of love, the way of the Lamb. <clears throat> Got one more quote from Daryl Johnson. Man, it's just, I love this commentary, so it's great. Highly recommend it if you're ever wanting to study Revelation. Daryl Johnson wrote this. The Lamb reigns by entering into the hurts of the world. And I think, I want to share this with you. I was like, I should share this long quote. But I'm going to share it because I think it really paints a picture for what we as Jesus' followers, how we Jesus' followers can really live into this among one another and among the world. The Lamb reigns by entering into the hurts of the world. So that kind of shapes it up for us, entering into the hurts of other people. Are we entering into their hurts with them? Or we harden ourselves to them? Do we deny it? Do we walk away from it? Do we avoid? Entering into the hurts of the world and taking them into himself, and so do the Lamb's followers. We choose to do as he does. Walk into the face of evil, declare the truth, in, enter, what's, oh, I missed, that was a typo, inter, that is not, the, that's the wrong word, intercede is what it's supposed to say. Walk into the face of evil, declare the truth, intercede for mercy, and take whatever comes. Evil is overcome only one way, by the power of sacrificial goodness. Evil is not overcome by more evil. Evil begets more evil. Violence begets more violence. Hatred begets more hatred. Evil is only defeated when it is outmatched by sacrificial goodness. Is this how you want to be known? It's a tough question. I've been asking myself all week. Is this how I want to be known? As someone who takes on the hurts of others, that conquers evil and wickedness and lying and deception and pride and arrogance and entitlement that comes against me in the lives of others, to conquer that by sacrificial goodness. This is the mark of Jesus' disciples. This is the way of the Lamb. This is how he wants to be known in the earth. When we live in such a way, people will take notice. God's kingdom will go for, forth, and God who sits enthroned over all of history and all of creation will get the honor and the recognition and the glory that he truly deserves because he came down to us, because he entered into our hurts and pains because he took them on himself 
He endured them on the cross. He absorbed them in his death, and he brought forth healing and restoration from them in his resurrection. And in that moment, he looked at us and he said, this is my love for you. And this is the way for you to love others. It's the mark of the church. It is my hope and my prayer that you guys would continue to grow in your awareness, fullness of who Jesus is, the slain lamb, sacrificial goodness given for you, and that it would shape and mold the culture of this people. I've been here, haven't been here in two years, but I was here for so long, and I, as Patrick said, he said it last week, it's like, it's like preaching to the choir half the time. It is. There's such a beautiful, beautiful work of God in, in your midst. And I want to encourage you to not lose sight of who Jesus is and continue to love each other sacrificially. Let that be your mark. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Man, what an image. What an image to see the slain lamb, the one who came to absorb our pain and hurt, our attacks, our aggression. Thank you, Jesus, for that. We honor you today. We acknowledge you today. And we ask that you, by your grace, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would continue to shape us as your true disciples, as men and women of sacrificial love and goodness, that the world would see and know this God that loves them immensely. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.